Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am okay. I'm not going to say I'm doing great. I have been quarantined with COVID for the last five days and just took another COVID test. And much to my chagrin, it came back positive. So I have to quarantine for another day at least. Oh, man, that is brutal. Yes, I am frustrated. I would be too. Yeah. Uh, Well, my week is better than that. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. How's your week going? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, it's way better than that. I've been working a lot of extra hours. Uh, We're very short-staffed at work, as is every place of employment anywhere. But 911 centers everywhere are also understaffed. So we're no different and we're just trying to get by. So working a lot of extra hours. And other than that, trying to relax and do some house chores while I'm home. Nice. Well, hey, I know you called uh, with a topic in mind, but I had, can I ask you one question about your work? Yeah. I just have wondered this at random times and I know it's a goofy question, but like if there is an emergency where you are working, clearly you don't call 911, right? <laughs> um no, but we do, you know, either run over to the computer ourselves or ask somebody else to enter a call. Like we literally set up a call just like we would if we were talking to somebody. And so that has happened when we've had suspicious vehicles or suspicious people hanging out around our gates or when individuals that work there and or are visiting there have had medical emergencies, we have had to set up a call and and dispatch them to our work, uh, which is kind of unique. So That's fascinating. I've always meant to ask you because I'm sure that it happens, but clearly you're not calling yourselves. (laughs) <laughs> no, but we do joke about it, especially because we have to, yeah, we have to get certified every year in, or every two years in first aid CPR, which is hilarious because we give CPR instructions all the time, but it's, it's a requirement. So we sit there and we watch the videos just like anybody else. And the videos, like the sequence of events is like, make sure the scene is safe. And then you go call 911. And we all have a good laugh over the fact that that's in there and that we would actually not use that. That's hilarious. All right. That had nothing to do with anything. I just always mean to ask and always forget. So yeah, what's on your mind today? What were you calling about? Um, So I actually want to talk about something that we see, I see at least, all the time referenced on social media. Uh, There are all sorts of memes or sayings out there that get reposted and shared and promoted all over social media that all center around this idea of self-care. And some of them have actually halfway decent things to say. Others of them are just wildly off base about what true self-care really is. And I actually wanted to ask you about self-care because I think you introduced me to self-care in a way I had never heard of it before. You went on a retreat a number of years ago and came back 
or in preparation for this retreat, I'm not sure which, but you had to fill out a rule of life where you yes. basically kind of put together, oh, I don't want to spoil it. Why don't you tell me about the rule of life? It inspired me to really think more deeply about what makes me healthy and what keeps me healthy. So I want to have a conversation about what is true self-care, what is a rule of life, and how does it all work? Yeah, that's great. So this is an idea I was introduced to by uh, Steve Machia, uh, who, when I was at Gordon-Conwell, was working with the folks at Gordon-Conwell and is an amazing guy. He was my spiritual director for a while, and he led this group of retreats for Christian leaders. And like you're saying, one of the retreats, uh, what we had to do was prepare a uh, rule of life. And this is coming from a very short little book by St. Benedict that he wrote early on when the monastic communities were first developing. Uh, monasticism started out as a reaction to the watering down of the church as it gave in to the secular Roman culture and the monastic folks abandoned society to go off in these communities and try to be pure. And he wrote this rule for the communities that he was leading that touched on every single detail of life. Because in his mind, everything influenced everything else. Every aspect of your life influenced every other aspect of your life. So you couldn't have a healthy spiritual life and not know how to deal with conflict in the community. You couldn't mm. have a healthy mental life and it not benefit your spiritual life. You know, when you first described this idea of self-care, I feel like I heard some positivity in your your comments and some concern in your comments. And I I share both sides of that. You know, when I see a a picture of somebody eating like their 400th brownie and it's, you know, <laughs> hashtag self-care. I'm not 100% sure we're talking about the same thing here. Yeah. So what I had to do for this retreat was essentially identify what are the life habits that keep me whole and healthy for the mission God has called me to. Hmm. You know, and and... I love the fact that it started with, what has God called me to? And in some future episode, we'll definitely have to talk about this idea of calling, because at least as I've gone through life, I've come to realize that my understanding of calling is pretty different, I think, from a lot of other people's. There are fewer spotlights and not nearly as many angels singing. Um, but <laughs> that's just because um, you're less spiritual than everybody else. Uh, that is probably true. <laughs> it, it, that's almost unarguably true. But so it started with this idea of, of mission, which I think is important to self care. Otherwise, why are we taking care of ourselves just because we're taking care of ourselves? That's not a very good answer. But then it was habits. And I, at the time, I think I had like 20 or 30 different habits, big and small, that all combine together to help me be the healthiest version of myself that I can be. And so from that point on, I've really been fascinated by this idea of spiritual habits and understanding spiritual in the broadest sense possible. So when I'm thinking of spiritual habits, I always 
write out this list coming from the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I will write out heart, soul, mind, strength. And then because I'm super introverted, I add community so that I don't forget to do these things with other people. (laughs) And identify like the different habits I need under all of those different categories. Uh, What do I need in terms of physical health? What do I need in terms of mental health? What do I need in terms of emotional health? What do I need in terms of social health or community? That's kind of where I go with that. But when when you think of this term self-care, what do you initially think of? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question but i want to like come back to some of the things you said i was i love the fact that the rule of life or your self care plan is tied to your mission your personal identity and who you are and what you're on this earth to do that is really fascinating to me i didn't know that that was a part of what you had to you know how you had to construct this and i think it was really well said um and the love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul strength and community i i like the way that you put that um oh right that's the love your neighbor as yourself part that's what it is i knew it was in there somewhere um (laughs) i forgot okay you know the second is like it yeah Yeah, like Uh, it but you know clearly less important that's what jesus was obviously saying well he did make it second yeah exactly but anyway sorry i interrupt no but you know you're great this so this is a great way to structure the overall uh, self-care plan. I really like thinking like that. I did not come into this conversation prepared to structure my thoughts that way, but I think going forward, I need to because that that's brilliant. Plus, it helps me make sure I've got all the pieces because I can remember, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and community. That I can do that. Um, but no, I think I'm reacting against some of the memes that are out there that kind of, they talk about shutting out the world, canceling everything that you were supposed to be doing. Like, I'm just shutting everybody out. I'm not going to go to any engagements. I'm just going to sit on my couch. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to eat a tub of ice cream because I've had a hard day. Um, or I'm going to go home and have a couple of drinks. I've earned it. It's a wine night or whatever it is. These types of quote unquote self care, I actually think are not helpful. And though I have canceled plans, I have sat on the couch and vegged out, I, I don't think that those things are sinful. But I also don't think that as a rule or as a rule of life, they are ultimately what brings vitality and renewed energy and renewed health that you can go back in and, as you say, reassert yourself in your mission. And so I'm thinking more along the lines of preventative care, if you will. Yes. So things like one of my rules, and I think it's one of yours too, I have to talk to you. Our conversation is part of my self-care plan. If you and I spend a number of weeks not talking because we're busy, I am actually affected by that. Not that you are in charge of my well-being, but I'm just saying. No, it's a piece of healthy friendship is a part of a good self-care plan, rule of life plan. And when it's missing, if it's meaningful, it should hurt. 
Yeah, that's that's really well said. So obviously yours is not the only relationship that I need to be connected to as a part of my self-care plan. I need to have regular connection with my wife. Mm-hmm. And you know, meaningful connection, right? Uh, I've worked such goofy shifts over the years, and she's busy running the kids around, and we live way out, away from everything. So anything we do, we spend a lot of time driving. It is easy for us to be two ships passing in the night, and we really have to be intentional to say, no, 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 we're getting depleted here. We need to come back together. We need to spend some intentional time. We need to go on a date. We need to sit on the couch and talk. We need to have time of really investing in one another. So these are you know, formative relationships. And the same is true for my kids. I have to have spent some time with my kids and building them up and, you know, living off of their energy. Like these are vital relationships. And maybe I could just sum it up that way. One of the main aspects of my self-care plan is vital relationships. Mm, That's good. Well, and the other thing that you said that was really important, and I wouldn't have thought to say it this way, is Good self-care is not reactive to today's imbalance. Hmm. You know, if I'm reacting to the imbalances I see in today by just knee-jerking and doing something else today, that's a an unhealthy pendulum swing, probably. Yeah. Self-care is about taking the time to know yourself and plan in advance, what do I really need? And so... Some of those are big things. Some of those are little things. Some of those are daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever. But I'm anticipating the need before it comes up rather than having to figure it out in the moment. Because in the moment, you know, it's kind of like if I get hungry at work when I'm working at the church and I don't have a lunch plan, I will absolutely end up eating candy and Mountain Dew. And that will be my lunch. (laughs) And then an hour later, I will have a sugar crash and it will be awful and I'll be miserable. But if I plan my lunch in advance, I have a good lunch. I have a good afternoon. And by the way, I, I use lunch as an example because eating lunch is on my rule of life because I used to not eat lunch. And it was not good for me. Pausing, taking the time to eat as a way of declaring that I'm not God. And if I pause for 30 minutes to eat some food, the world is not going to fall apart. (laughs) Right. You know, that I'm free to be dependent on food and that God is gracious enough to run the world without me for a little bit. You know, that's genuinely important to me because I am a frenetic doer and I need to stop. Um, Mm. But so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's the planning in advance was actually the main point I was trying to make there. But with that, what are, what are some of the other parts you were talking about? uh, Vital. Is that the word you used? Vital relationships. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you would include in your rule of life? Yeah, I've never written one out like you have, and I think that is to my detriment. However, I'm learning that there are various things I need. One of them is a Sabbath. I think God definitely knew what he was doing 
when he gave us the Sabbath and said, just one day, for one day, sit down and don't do any work. That is hugely important to me. And I'm finding I need even some quiet space on my Sabbath. My Sabbath goes a lot better if I get up early, hours before anybody else, and I have a prayer time, time to read, time to uh, just kind of be quiet and still and silent if I need to be. By the time I have spent three or four hours just silent and you know being able to read and all of those things, I am refreshed. I'm ready to go to church. I'm ready to interact with the family. I'm ready to do all the other Sabbath activities that even though they are not work, are more they they take more energy. They take mm. um yeah. They require energy in order to actively go out there and do them. Um so I need a Sabbath. That is one of my rules of life and I only discovered it Recently, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but I never, I never used to have a Sabbath until I started at seminary, and I actually didn't do it really for "quote unquote" spiritual reasons. I just had always known I should be holding a Sabbath, and I realized how much work I would literally be doing by doing seminary and work and family and all of these things. I went, if I don't take twenty-four hours off, I'm going to drive myself insane. So. I started practicing a Sabbath, and man, has it been fantastic. Mm, That's good. You know, one of the things that I know I need, and actually I haven't gotten it yet this summer too much, I need time in the woods. Mm. Uh, We mentioned that when it it came to, um, you know, our rhythms of prayer and Bible study and all of that, but I really need to be in the woods. I think there's something deeply restorative about that. Working where I do and often finding myself in a major metropolitan area, I find the cares of modern society weigh me down after a while. And I need to get back to birdsong and deer droppings and mountains and trees and sunshine and shade because these are the elemental things of life that you forget exist when you're just going about your modern American routine. That's so good. And I, I couldn't agree more. I've been noticing this in myself recently. We just recently got two of these amazing inflatable kayak, one person inflatable kayaks that are like 20 pounds. They're amazingly light. They're super easy to set up. You just essentially, it's just a, an inflatable paddleboard that you can attach a seat to. And I've been out on the lake near my house two, three times a week. My wife's been out five or six times every week. Uh, As a matter of fact, this morning, because I have COVID and she doesn't, we drove separately to the lake that is two miles from our house, set up our kayaks 50 feet apart from each other, and then went out kayaking together on the lake because that surely has to count as social distancing when there's like <laughs> 15 feet of lake in between you. Nice. Um, but I think you're spot on. You know, I, every day we're dealing with the frantic 
intensity of this person OD'd and that person is relapsing and this person is struggling with this and uh, there's this financial pressure and this bubble, you know. And in the middle of all of that, I think you're right. I think it's really important for me as well to get out in the middle of nature where yesterday when I was freaking out about whatever I was freaking out about, this bird was tweeting. Mm. And today the bird is tweeting and tomorrow the bird's going to be tweeting and the, and the, the water is going to be rippling and the sun is going to come up and a hundred years from now, all is well. Yes. It puts my issues in perspective for me in a way that is incredibly important for me. Yeah. I was at the beach. So our our house sits really close to this really long stretch of open beach. And if you look to the south from this beach, you'll see this enormous rock called Haystack Rock. And it's one of two such really big rocks that look like haystacks uh, in on the Oregon coast that are actually called Haystack Rock. They're, it was very unoriginal. They're both called Haystack Rock. But when you look out at this, and it is, I don't even know how tall it is. I should, but we're talking 20 stories tall, we'll say. Wow. Yeah. It's it's an enormous 20-story tall rock that looks like a haystack sitting a quarter mile into the ocean. And when you walk, it just kind of dominates the landscape. And so when you're walking south along the beach and you just see this rock, there is something about it that reminds me of the constancy of God. And I have Mm. spent time praying on that beach and even having some very emotional prayers that I felt like as I looked at that rock, I could literally hurl any prayer I needed to straight at that rock and nothing would happen. Because that rock has been battered by waves for generations after generations, long before a white person ever even stepped foot on American soil or North American soil, Native Americans were looking at this rock. It has been here forever. And the constancy of that rock and, and its ability to survive all of these waves and all of these storms that have kicked up over the years... I knew there was nothing I could do to that rock. And it was something akin to what God must be like when I fling prayers his way. He just isn't going to be faced by it. I can literally let my heart rip and he can handle it. Mm. That's so good. Well, that's right. This is exactly what Romans is talking about. His invisible attributes being made manifest in the creation of the world. Mm, um, yeah, that's it. it. That that's it exactly. Yeah. So nature is wildly important to me, and it, clearly it is to you as well. But what else is on your list? You've actually written these down, and I wouldn't mind hearing at least one or two from every section, if you will. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and community. Sure. So I actually have not followed a written list for a while, though I've recently been wondering if I need to go back to this because it's so important for me. So heart, there's a couple things in the heart category for me. 
One is counseling. I have been in counseling in several different seasons of my life and will certainly go again at some other future season of my life. But keeping myself open to going to counseling, as open to counseling as I would be to, you know, I have a uh, appointment coming up with my PCP. I want to be as open to going to counseling for my emotional health as I am going to the doctor for my physical health hmm. so that I can be a whole and healthy human being. And so that's one of the things that goes in heart. Another thing is I want to, I need to fall asleep reading a book in the middle of the day at least once every week. That is a <laughs> super concrete thing that is on my list. There is something that is good for me about that kind of space in my life. Um, That's awesome. That's a great item on a list. I love that that exists. <laughs> it took me a while to get that clear on it. But yeah, it's fall asleep, reading a book at least once a week. And then, uh, so that's heart. Soul, I don't remember if it was Dallas Willard or Foster or Moreland. Or, I don't remember which of these people it was that says that the soul is the part of the self or the part of the person that functions as sort of the executive center. So the soul mm. is the part of you that says yes or no to the things you think, yes or no to the things you feel, yes or no to the things you will or want. And I know that for me, one of the ways I regularly have to develop my soul and I don't, I don't want to sound like a crazy person or somebody off Too in left field. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> off in left field here. But uh, I use uh, an app called Headspace and uh, kind of basic meditation for this. Meditation meaning paying attention to your breathing so that you can notice when your thinking is not under your control so that you can bring your your thinking back into your control. Because for most of us, our thinking and our feeling is not under our control. We are not aware that we get to exert control over those things. We are, are led by the nose by our thoughts or our feelings or our desires. Paying attention to your breathing as a simple thing that you can focus on. It could You could focus on anything, but that is something that generally doesn't involve thought, feeling, or desire. It's just there gives you the space to recognize the moments where suddenly you're thinking about this thing or you're stressed about this other thing or you want to do this thing or you want and it gives you the ability to practice saying nope I'm not going to be controlled by that it's okay that that thought came up it's okay that that desire came up it's okay that that feeling came up but that doesn't mean I have to be controlled by it and so I'm going to move my attention back to my breathing in order to just practice I think of this literally as soul exercise. Mm. You're so right. It is soul exercise, and it's all over the Psalms, right? And on other portions of Scripture as well, this command to meditate on the Word of God. And yet, we don't do any meditation practice. We don't do any soul exercise, as you, as you say, that would train us how to meditate. And 
and unfortunately, we've allowed the word meditate to be co-opted by Eastern religions and allowed it to take on nothing but a negative connotation in Christian circles when it's a very biblical concept and you're literally practicing what is necessary in order to fulfill it. Yeah, exactly. I think of this as, you know, because somebody would say, could easily say, well, then why don't you just focus on a verse from the Bible or something while you're doing this? And to be honest, when I pay attention to the Bible, my brain goes in a lot of really good directions, but it in, it engages my mind, heart, and will in a way that I don't want to stop and move to something else. And so on some level, the kind of what I'm calling meditation here, paying attention to your breathing, functions the way stretching does before I run. It's not the thing that matters itself, but it is getting me ready to do the thing that matters. Mm. And practicing paying attention, practicing control over, you know, soul, cultivating soul strength in this way, yeah, helps me tremendously when I'm reading my Bible and when I'm praying. Uh, you know, I've never talked to a person yet as a pastor who didn't say, man, I have a hard time paying attention when I read my Bible. Man, I have a hard time staying focused when I pray. Of course we do. It's because we have really weak souls. Mm-hmm. We stink at exerting influence over our heart, mind, and will. And I stink at it too, frankly. I'm, you know, you will attest to the fact that I am one of the most distractible people in the world. And so I just keep practicing. Yeah, I also want to cut you some slack on that front. Though I don't deny that we all have weak souls, I also think that you have other contributing factors to why you find yourself so distractible. I don't think it is solely due to your quote-unquote weak soul. Well, whatever the contributing factor is, I still think that it makes it weak. It just means I have to compensate. All right. Does that make sense? I have a hard time running even if my leg was broken. That doesn't mean it's my fault that my leg is broken. Yeah. Okay. But I could go on forever. What about you? What are other things on your list? I think I did heart and soul. What would be on your heart list? I think my heart list would involve some of what I talked about before in terms of vital relationships. I think that those really, but that probably goes into the community side. So maybe I need to set that aside. I look at my list and I think of silence and Mm. I think of times of Bible study. There is a sweetness. Let me tell this story. It's from Eugene Peterson's The Pastor, which is his memoir of being a pastor. And there's this amazing story. He tells the story in this book. As a pastor, he would say, okay, let's pray. And then there would be this long silence. It was very intentional silence where they would be entering into God's presence and be praying personally, silently as a congregation. And after this silence, he would finally begin a verbal prayer and leading the congregation in this prayer. There was a member of his congregation that reacted to this and said, you know, when I first heard this, the silence made me really uncomfortable. But eventually I got used to it and eventually I came to treasure it. 
such that now when you actually start your verbal prayer, I think to myself, oh, not yet, Pastor. Mm. And that to me captures the heart really, really well. There's a there's an intimacy in that silence. And I think that's why I treasure Sunday mornings so much by myself. There's an intimacy in that silence that I really crave. And I I don't want, and I love my family. There's no question. I love my family. But if I hear them stirring, I think to myself, oh, not yet. Yeah. I think that's my, that, that would be in my heart category, silence with God. Hmm. That's good. What about soul? Man, I feel like that fits the same thing. It does. Um, I would really I really need to spend more time. This is what this is telling me because when you asked me about heart, I wanted to say something from community. And when you asked me about soul, I thought it was the same thing as heart. I clearly need to separate these things better. Well, and maybe Right, like one of the things that's always important about a rubric like this is it exists to be helpful not to become your master, right? I don't want anybody to think the only way to do self-care is to use these categories and then you, you know, anything, you know, just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about not shitting on yourself. And, uh, <laughs> right. uh, this is, this is one of those ones where the rubric could be an easy opportunity to do that. So it's just extending grace to ourselves. Yeah, I think, and particular to me, something I've learned about myself, I'm really focused on the Enneagram lately, mm-hmm. and we're going to need to do a whole episode on the Enneagram because I have so much I want to unpack there, Ooh, but yeah. I have learned about myself through the Enneagram. Something, I mean, these things always clarify what you already know about yourself. So it's not that I've learned it, but it's been very much clarified for me. And that is that from my personality type, I have a hard time relaxing and having fun. I am so very intense and task-driven and missional and I've got so much I want to do and so much I want to get done and so much I want to perfect in myself and in the world. I can't spare the time to just kick back and have fun. Mm. So I think if I were building my rule of life and I need to think about what category I'd put it in, it would be literally breaking off and having fun and if my wife listens to this episode and she's listened to every episode thus far, so I'm sure she will, she's probably dancing right now saying, oh my gosh, are we finally going to have some fun? (laughs) I'm tired of being serious all the time. Uh, Yeah, that would be on my list. Should be on my list. That's good. And and I share that blind spot. Nothing about fun is on my list and probably particularly in the soul area. I think fun is a good one to put there. You know, cultivating things like joy are not a bad thing. No, for sure. And I'm so busy reading books, collecting thoughts, and diving into, you know, all of the things that I really want to do and and trying to perfect them that I forget to have joy. But I have to say that 
these thoughts that we share with one another, the thoughts that we get from books, they actually do bring me joy. And that's why this podcast exists, is to be able to share these and share the joy of it with everybody else. Well, and and speaking of thoughts, I wanted to just pause us there and see what other thoughts you've had this week. Yeah, so this has been kind of an ongoing thought for me. As I've been working my way with my friend, we've been translating in Genesis. We're in, we just finished up Genesis 7 this morning. And Genesis 6 and 7 are the Noah, Noah's Ark story. And one of the things that I have found fascinating about this story, as you dive into the Hebrew of it, is how much it is maybe this is my imagination as I read it, but I see a mother telling this story to her four-year-old. That's the sort of descriptive detail that you see in the Hebrew. Mm. It's lots of repetition, lots of use of the word all. In, In Hebrew, it's kol. All of the animals and all of the mountains and all of these things. It's just so repetitive on that score. And it, it lists all the, the beasts and the creepy crawly things and the, the birds that fly in the heavens. And these are very descriptive terms that are used throughout that I think a child would just grasp onto. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why we still teach our children the Noah's Ark story because it is so adapted to a young audience. But it's so adapted to an oral culture, for one. And then more importantly, and and what I'm learning about this is, I think, especially when you go to seminary, right, the the Bible can become a textbook. Hmm. And in church, the Bible can become God's holy word. And it's somehow very austere, and it's very serious. And I don't want to disagree. I actually think we should take God's word very seriously, but I don't think we should read it without a sense of wonder and without a sense of imagination and a sense of childlike eyes. And so one of the things that really caught me was Genesis seven nineteen really highlights this very well. And, uh, the Hebrew word for very or greatly or whatever is ma'od. And it literally says, if I, if I could just kind of tease it out very, very literally, and the waters prevailed ma'od ma'od upon the earth, very, very upon the earth, and all the high up mountains which are under the heavens were covered. And it's just, it's very expressive. I've never seen ma'od, ma'od right next to each other. It may be because I'm relatively young in my Hebrew reading, but it is, it to me caught me off guard. Like, oh, very, very, I I don't know. I just, again, I'm picturing this mother telling her four-year-old this story and it really increased the joy of reading this story. Uh, So that's my thought for today. Mm, that's good. Yeah, so what what have you got? I'm eager to hear your your thoughts. Absolutely. Well, I've been quarantined 
for the last five days. And so I've been trying to really dig in to some reading at this point. And so I've been reading two books concurrently. One of them is Managing Leadership Anxiety by Steve Cuss, which may be one of the best leadership books I have ever read in my life, immediately going on my top five books of all time. And I think we're going to be talking about it next week. Is that right? We have to, because I was really pushing hard for you to read this book, and I'm thrilled that you have found it as valuable as I did. So yeah, I, we could spend a whole hour and a half talking about it, I think, but yeah, we'll try to cut uh, it down to podcast length. Yeah. Um, so that's brilliant. So, But alongside that, I was also reading this biography of Dorothy Day. Uh, and hmm. do you know anything about Dorothy Day? Not much at all. Okay, so she was in the middle of the 20th century, the, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. So she served among the poor and homeless as a lay Catholic woman for about 50 years. So the the word worker calls back to her heritage as someone who was part of the socialist and communist movements early on before the even the Second World War. Uh, she was deeply influenced by those developing trends amongst sort of the intellectual elite of mm. the United States. But she went on to to convert to Catholicism at great personal cost. Her, I, I, we would say husband, but non-husband who wouldn't marry her and she didn't marry him because they were rejecting social conventions, mm. but that she deeply loved, rejected her because of her faith. So it was it was a very costly decision to convert to being a follower of Jesus. In each chapter, so it's the book is written by Robert Coles, who knew her personally and recorded hundreds of hours of conversation with her. And this is him trying to capture some of the key topics they talked about. So it's again, you know, I, I, was, I was as I'm reading it, I'm thinking back to I think it was your son who added on our Reddit that idea that uh, how did he say it? Uh, I want to always summarize talk it as, to the old guy. Okay, yes, I was going to say always listen to old people, so I was close. <laughs> always talk to the old guy. So this is Robert Coles listening to the old lady who had been following Jesus for like, and he wasn't a Christian; he was just a sociologist and and professor at like I don't know Harvard or someplace. But one of the things she said that I thought was absolutely stunning was. The church is the cross upon which Christ was crucified. The church is the cross upon which Christ was crucified, which was her way of saying the church is a deeply sinful organization, bunch of people, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. And she had this as a, a strongly leaning left far left political thinker who was advocating for the poor and for 
workers' rights and all these things when, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, the church was not talking about this stuff. Mm. The church was deeply influenced by the affluent and the influential. She would adamantly push back on these political ideas. And so Robert Coles asked her, so what was it like when you were having these rebellious thoughts against the church? And she said, I never once had a rebellious thought against the church. I joined the church with my eyes wide open, knowing that it was an imperfect organization full of imperfect people. That's why I get to be there. Oh, The fact that it is imperfect doesn't mean that I need to keep my mouth shut and not have an opinion about what Jesus stands for. But it also means I don't need to reject the church just because I don't think it's perfect. And she says it much more beautifully than that and much more profoundly. But this idea that we can fully embrace a church that is so broken it needs the crucified Christ to cover it, and we can love it enough to want it to be better while loving it as it is, I just found incredibly inspiring. Yeah, and that's such a good word for today. I feel like there's so much division and so much hostility, even in the church. Boy, it's good to be reminded that it was always imperfect. It always will be imperfect, and we can love it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and she would pause every once in a while, and she would say, and I'm not even sure I get to think about what the imperfections of the church are, because on some level, that's pride in me. Mm. And she was constantly guarding against pride. And I think that we costume pride in so many different ways. And by we, I really mean I, as someone who likes to evaluate and analyze and whatever. I can costume pride in so many ways and therefore justify it to myself when at the end of the day, it's really just pride. Sure. So I I found her thoughts humbling and inspiring and all sorts of things. Ah, That's wonderful. I want to take a moment and turn to the audience and say, come join us. Come share your thoughts. We actually really want to invite, we're going to make a a bald-faced request. Come like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like these pages. We have a lot of content going up there all the time. They're just a fun way to interact with one another, with us. So come join us on those platforms. But then come join the Like and follow. Yes, like and follow. On Facebook, at least, you can do both, which I think is a little weird. Yeah, um, but then also join our subreddit, r slash on the phone with Josh. Come join the conversation. We want to know what you have found valuable uh, in your own journey toward self-care and rule of life kind of concepts. We want to know what you think about the thoughts that were shared here today on that topic, but then also your experience with the wonderment of the scriptures or your experience with loving an imperfect church and wrestling with your own pride in that regard. We want to hear from you. We want to you know, expand this conversation and interact together. And speaking of social media and all of that stuff, I believe we 
posted a picture this week. Is that right? We did. We did. This was a picture of the place where one of us sits every single time we have these conversations. And I can hear the drum roll. And that person officially is Josh from Oregon. Yes, indeed. You got a little window into my world, this little cubby hole that I record in. And I do my translating in and I do a lot of schoolwork here. This is my, this is a very tight little cubby hole in the side of my office, but or the side of my house. But I wanted to mention if I don't know if you saw the little metal baseball characters or figurines or whatever you might call them that are actually on the wall underneath the bookshelf. These are super special, and I don't always have them up in different places that I've lived, but I really wanted to make sure they were up here. These are, well, I would say quite old. These were up in my nursery when I was born. My mom got these. Wow. I don't know where she got them. Yeah, and she put them on the wall in my nursery, and I've I've had them ever since. And I've always been a baseball fan. Baseball has been a huge part of my life. And here they are, and I get to stare at them all the time. Um, I also love antiques, and I love kind of these old design. I, I love character faces. This just has all of it, and I get to stare at it all the time, and I stare at it while we talk. So these are really, really fun characters, and I wanted to give everybody a window into what I'm staring at right now. That's amazing. That's fascinating. Even when I saw the picture and I saw those characters, I didn't know any of that. Uh, I think I even referred to them at one point as as little clay characters, so I didn't even realize they're metal. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Well, uh, are we on for next week? We absolutely are. I can't wait. All right. Talk to you then. Managing leadership anxiety. Okay. Looking forward to it. All right. Bye.